the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, College Cross fans? You're watching episode 242 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost. Today, we're going to mix it up a little bit and do something different because I think one of the bigger games this weekend was actually played within the D3 ranks. So I'm going to start today's show talking about how number two Salisbury hit the road against number seven Gettysburg. Lots of people are wondering, hey, did Salisbury deserve the number one ranking after RIT struggled to pick up a win in their first game of the season? And Gettysburg is like, hey, Let's talk about it. Let's try to decide this. And uh, it was, ended up being an incredible game. I'm also going to talk about every, just about every Division I game, including Syracuse, Carolina, Duke, Penn, Georgetown, Notre Dame, Princeton, Maryland, Hopkins, Utah, UVA, Ohio State, Rutgers, Loyola, Yale, Penn State. We're going to talk about all of them and many more as we get on down the list. Now, before I get into all of this, we're now offering our own label, our own custom team apparel, uniforms, reversibles, shooters, shorts, shorts with pop. Pockets. Just don't get a five-inch inseam, but we'll do those too if you need them. All of it designed by me, manufactured in the U.S. They're designed by me, printed in the U.S., cut and sewn. Every garment is custom tailored to your needs and cut and sewn in the United States of freaking America. So you can go to laxfactor.com, check out what we're you know some of the old things that we've printed, and uh, you can also contact me via social media or through the website or whatever to get a quote if you need some team uniforms. And then as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, watch our videos there and do all the other crap as well. Uh, and then the only thing I really ask of any of you, if you're watching this video on YouTube, hit the like button, please share the video, subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening, audio listener or watching anywhere else, please share the video with other people, do all that good stuff. But let me shut the hell up here. Let us dive into this first game here. Number two, Salisbury. Number seven, Gettysburg. Gettysburg came out, held a one or two gold lead for most of the first half, but Salisbury kept battling back. They knotted things up at sixes by the half. Now, Salisbury would come out. They'd outscore the Bullets 3-1 over the third quarter, and with 9-12 left in the fourth quarter, they'd take a 10-8 lead off a nice speed dodge from Cross Ferreira, his third of the game. He dodged his man up from kind of the corner, back right corner, just sprinted past him, scored a wraparound right up that right side. Momentum seemed to be with Salisbury at this point. After Kieran Ward got Gettysburg back to within a goal, Jack Dunleavy would score a natural hat trick and score the game's final three goals. His fourth of the game came with 6.32 left, nodding things up at tens. Kieran Ward notched the assist, dodging into the middle of the field from the left wing and found Dunleavy down low. Kind of a high crease, low crease kind of play. Note also, Dunleavy listed at 5.9. I dare say he's one of the wee folk. He may be a hobbit coming in at like 5.7. I'm not sure he's really as tall as what it, what they say. And then that Ward kid is 6'3", 215. So on that high load feed, it looked like a giant was feeding, you know, just like a little guy, like, a, you know, like a giant feeding a hobbit. Let's call it a troll feeding a hobbit. I've, I've gone way too far down that rabbit hole. But the little guy, he was slippery as three minutes later, he got loose again, this time shading to the right off the low crease, and George Raymond found him for his fifth of the game, and Gettysburg is up by a goal with just 3.38 left in the contest. Dunleavy scored the dagger, a man-up goal with 1.13 left in the game, getting lost on the backside just above goal line extended on the left. Another great feed, though, by James uh, George Raymond through a sea of goals. See what I did there? Through a sea of goal defenders. And that is the ball game. Dunleavy finished the game with six goals and an assist off eight shots. Raymond had a goal and two helpers. And the giant, Kieran Ward, went for two goals and a dish. Jonathan Moshi, I presume that's how you say it, 
Um, uh, he was very good at the dot for the Bullets, winning 14 of 25 with six ground balls and no turnovers, meaning that his wings helped him out quite a bit at that, you know, at the faceoff dot. And uh, goaltender Chase Morgan stopped 11 of the 21 shots he faced on the day, winning both the goalie battle and getting the W in cage. Gettyberg, Gettyberg. Gettysburg improves to 2-0 and Salisbury drops to 3-1. Now, I'd expect Gettysburg to make a move up the polls. Maybe number two, number three, Salisbury's probably going to slip somewhere down to like four or seven or so. Great matchup, though. Two very good teams, and it was a huge win for Gettysburg. Now... The next game I want to talk about, and this one, obviously, it made me very sad, very sad. Number 12, North Carolina against number 19, Syracuse. Syracuse struck first off an Owen Hiltz goal from Alex Simmons just one minute and a second into the contest. But Carolina, they would put up three goals over just under four minute, over like a four-minute span or so to take a 3-1 lead after freshman James Matten scored his third goal of the season. Matan, Matten, I can't remember how they pronounced it in the game. Syracuse would answer that Carolina run by scoring three consecutive goals of their own, taking the lead back for three, but the Heels would score six of the game's next seven goals, taking a 9-5 advantage and never really looking back from there. Great bounce-back win for Carolina after losing to Ohio State and only putting up five goals. Syracuse's defense not the same caliber as Ohio State's defense, although against Carolina, Ohio State's defense didn't look too great last night. And it showed, though, it showed that Syracuse's defense was not the same because uh, Carolina outshot Syracuse 49-42, to 36-25 in terms of on cage, and shot 38% as a team against a very good goalie in Will Mark. Now, Mark didn't look bad either. Now, Andrew Tyre, uh, uh, I forget how they said that name. I've been trying to pronounce that all season, and here I watched the game all day yesterday, and I'm just blanking on it. That's what the beers do to you. Uh, he won 15-28 draws, and the Heels won 19-35 of 35 overall. So on paper, Richie USA, he held his own, but it f- I felt like he had a couple of turnovers in there that kind of tipped the the scales back in favor more of North Carolina. It didn't show that he had two or three uh, turnovers on the stat sheet, but I'm pretty sure he had a couple after winning draws. Uh, the Syracuse defense, they proved if we're not winning the bulk of the faceoffs, they're not quite good enough to keep these other teams off the scoreboard. They give, they've been giving up a lot of shots even against the lesser teams and a team like North Carolina they sh- and Maryland, same thing. They got a ton of good looks. On, and Will Mark is the only reason this wasn't a 24-10 to 10 game for the most part because Mark did play well enough and made enough solid stops to keep this from going completely off the rails. So the face-off dot, though, moral of the story, the face-off dot in Richie USA looks like it's going to continue to be a problem for Syracuse because it's only going to get worse as they get deeper into ACC play. And just about every team on their schedule uh, moving forward here has a has a capable face-off man. So I don't see Syracuse winning the bulk of the draws in too many games overall this year. They're going to have to win games, losing possess- losing that possession battle. Bright side for Syracuse, though. They were 5 of 10 on the extra man opportunities. They've been lights out this season with their man-up crew. They're now 16 of 24 on the season, 66 6.7%, which is actually pretty bonkers. And the, the the man up play that I just showed where it was just going tic-tac-toe all over behind the back 
Finn Thompson feed down to Spalina for the goal after Hiltz gave him a little touch pass from the crease. Absolutely incredible. But, you know, hey, who cares? They lost. Not good. Logan McGovern, the Bryant transfer, he had a beastly day going for four goals and four assists off just six shots. Had a couple of absolute just insane snipes. He picked up three ground balls and only had a turnover. Lance Tillman, who also laced some goals, he had three and a dish off just four shots. Neither goalie was above 500, as I said, but Colin. Colin Krieg did edge Wilmark slightly in terms of save percentage, stopping 12 of 13 versus Wilmark stopping 17 of 19. But once again, Wilmark looked good in cage and actually saved Syracuse's ass numerous times. Krieg just, you know, just playing incredible, having a great season so far for Carolina. Now for Carolina, they have to have been happy with how the offense bounced back after just putting up five goals in that loss against Ohio State. Everyone played well. They had seven guys that recorded at least two points yesterday. Five guys had three ground balls or more. Seven players had a cause turnover. This was legitimately a total team effort out of North Carolina. For Syracuse, after starting 3-0, and the Orange have now been humbled by Maryland and Carolina. Syracuse, certainly a much better team compared to a year ago, and they've been fun to watch so far with these young guys doing some cool things, you know, kind of scoring a lot of nifty goals, a lot of BTBs and everything. And some of the veterans, though, for the Syracuse team, they're not holding their own. They're not playing well enough, the veterans, to put Syracuse in a position to get out of the basement of the ACC. So it still looks like Syracuse probably going to finish in the basement of the ACC unless something changes at the faceoff dot and defensively they can kind of limit shots. But in the end right now, it comes down to the veterans just not playing as well as they should or as well as you need to. When your team leaders aren't as good and don't lead your team as well as the opposing team's team leaders do, you're probably going to lose, especially with a young team. All right, now I'm going to shut up. We're going to move on to the next game I want to talk about here. Number 14, Duke, and number 7, Penn. Now, Penn came out, looked strong, very strong early. They take a 2-0 lead five minutes into the game off a Gabe Fury goal assisted by Dylan Gergar. That lead would carry into the second quarter as it would take Duke some time to get their offense rolling, as has been the case. Andrew McAdory, he'd get Duke on the board with 529 left in the first quarter. He pressed the Penn defense before everyone was fully set, split a double, and stuck it. Now, that was kind of a trend on the day. I noticed Duke doing a lot of pressing the cage, in not even in transition, but pressing the cage in situations where the defense wasn't fully set, subbing situations, restarts, you know, as guys are still trying to scramble to find a man and get back. So Duke pressed every chance they got in terms of if if the Penn defense wasn't settled, Duke was going to the rack. Now, after Will Stevenson tied things up at twos, McAdory yet again pressed before the Penn defense was fully settled after a broken play and then scored, giving Duke their first lead of the game, three to two. Now, a pivotal play in this game. Duke's Wilson Stevenson forced a turnover on an ill-advised Sam Handley dodge. That sent the ball up the field to Tyler Carpenter. He dishes to Brennan O'Neill. That gave Duke a 5-2 lead. Stevenson had a hell of a game. He scored a goal, picked up six ground balls, caused four turnovers, did a great job playing a very physical Sam Handley. He, he wasn't the only guy that Duke put out on Sam Handley. Number five got some looks on Handley as well. 
with the uh, long pole, but he Stevenson did an incredible job bodying Handley, just not giving him any space, and it resulted in Handley having a, a lame game here overall for Penn. Um, after Penn did take that two-zip lead, Duke scored eight unanswered before allow, allowing Penn to score a goal as time expired in the half, and the game was kind of over at halftime with Duke up eight to three. Duke came out and extended that lead, scoring the first two goals of the second half and took a 10-3 lead before allowing Penn to go on their first true run of the game. The Quakers got things back to within 10-7, and then after giving up another goal, they managed to climb back to within two goals on a couple of occasions, but Duke managed to control things to the end and held on for that 14-12 win. One thing we learned about Penn over their first two games, they shoot the ball like shit. If you're one of the top seven uh, shot getters in this game, if you were for Penn uh, and your name wasn't Cam Rubin, you're shooting under 20%. Dylan Gergar has one of the better shooting percentages of the group at 20%. Sam Hanley's finishing the rock at a 14.3% clip. James Shipley's coming in at 10. That's not going to get you a lot of wins. Penn has to shoot the ball better. And that's kind of been a thing always. That's my only knock against Sam Hanley's game. Two knocks. Two knocks. Shooting percentage, not always what it should be. He's a high-volume shooter, and when high-volume shooters don't shoot the ball well, that hurts you badly, and he turns the ball over a lot, and that proved to be the case here in this game. Duke wins the game. Uh, Jen, Jake Naso, he won 18 of 29 face-offs. That certainly didn't help Penn at all. Neither did the fact that Wilhelm stopped, Wilhelm stopped 19 shots and only gave up 12 goals. Helm has continued to look very good in cage for Duke. So they won their battles, Naso and Helm, and then Duke wins this game. And all in all, Duke's defense, they did a great job of bottling up Handley, like I said. The bulk of Penn's offensive threats were also bottled up. Penn did a better job at the faceoff dot in the second half against Naso, and they outshot Duke overall, but Duke proved to be the, be the better team on the day, and uh, you know, thanks to that huge first half. They came out and kind of built that first half lead and played really well, so whatever they, you know, however they faltered over the course of the second half, it ended up not hurting them. They did get outscored 9-6 over the course of the second half, but that lead was enough to get them through it. All right. Next game I want to talk about here. Number two, Georgetown against number 17, or number two, Notre Dame against number 17, Georgetown. This was the Eric Dobson show early for Notre Dame as he scored two of Notre Dame's first three goals and finished the game with three goals on the day, the big boy midfielder, Dobson. It was never close as Notre Dame scored early and often. They held a 6-3 lead by the end of the first quarter. They held a 9-3 lead by the end of the half. Total team effort out of the Irish with five players each putting up at least three points. Actually, five players putting up exactly three points. Dobson, Chris Cavanaugh, and Riley Gray all scored three goals. Quinn McCann put up two goals in addition. Pat Cavanaugh had a goal and two helpers. The scoring was as spread out as it can get, and uh, no one on the day shot lower than 33%, so they had a very good shooting day also. Notre Dame overall, they outshot Georgetown 49 to 33. They held the Hoyas to only 17 shots on cage, which is incredible considering the name power on this Georgetown offense, and they held them to just 17 shots on cage, which is great. Good shots were extremely hard to come by as the Irish defense was all over the place, and even when they faltered, Liam Entman, not a whole lot of shots faced, but stopped nine balls versus the 15 shots he faced on the day. What did he have? Uh, six, uh, six goals against, I think, or maybe it was only five goals against for Entman. I had noticed people were chirping Tucker Dordovic, and, and I've noticed that over the first two losses, everyone's like, ah, oh, well, Dordovic, high-volume shooter, you know, and that's going to not be good enough when he's not playing well. 
in fairness to Dordovic, the first two games, he was the only bright spot on that Georgetown offense. He was actually shooting the ball above 30%. No one else on that Georgetown offense was. Other guys weren't even getting looks. So credit to Dordovic for being one of the only offensive bright spots and one of the only guys over those first two games that actually played well and efficiently. Graham Bundy Jr. put up some points, but his shooting percentage was poor. In this game, Dordovic, he did struggle. He was one of nine on the day shooting, but his teammates weren't much better. Brian Minikis was 0-4, and he's actually one of the, the transfers that has been playing okay thus far. Nikki Solomon was 0-3, so Georgetown, they're still struggling to make things happen offensively. Notre Dame, I don't have a whole lot to say outside of they looked really good. I didn't watch the game because it's on Flow TV, and I'm still... I'm the guy who's been chirping people for being cheap and not just buying the services and complaining about it. Flow TV is the one I won't buy. I have ESPN Plus. I have Big Ten Plus and all that crap. I, it's a great value. 150 bucks to watch Big East lacrosse. While it's a big deal now, once they get into their conference schedule, I don't really care about Big East lacrosse as much, just making sure that Georgetown keeps winning, and that's what they're going to have to do. Anyway, anyway, Hoy, or, uh, the Irish looked incredible. Once again, full team, you know, like th their defense has played well. Entman's been good in goal. The midfielders have played well. Like everybody's getting involved overall in this offense and they play fiery lacrosse. So Notre Dame, definitely the number two team in the country and worthy of it at this point. Georgetown's probably going to pop out of the top 20. They're now 0-3 after being one of the favorites to win it all, even picked by me to be one of the favorites to win it all. They're 0-3, and they've got Princeton next week. Now, I do like their chances against Princeton. I think that they could pull out a win against Princeton. They have not looked as tough as they did a year ago. Technically, none of the Ivies have have looked as tough as they did a year ago. Someone had mentioned on uh, Facebook or Twitter or one of the YouTube comments um, uh, that you know the, the Ivy looks like it's like a, a paper tiger here at this point, and I don't disagree at all. So Ivy's not looking great, but hey, Notre Dame is. Georgetown's rough. Georgetown could potentially get their first win of the season next weekend, but it's going to be tough. Princeton, a very good team, and uh, everybody right now is looking to just try to bury the injured dog here. You know, Georgetown is definitely an injured dog, so expect for Princeton to come out and want to play spoiler after they, you know, haven't played great ball yet. So should be a good game. Anyway, we're getting out of this here now, too. Now we're going to talk about Maryland and Princeton. Princeton, they weren't able to put up much of a fight against Maryland overall here as the Terps jumped out to a 5-1 lead, and that was pretty much all she wrote. Daniel Maltz, he sniped a shot from deep with 8.03 left in the second quarter. That gave Maryland a 3-1 lead. He'd later score down the left alley three minutes and 50 seconds into the third quarter. That gave Maryland a 5-1 lead, and that's actually a good sign that Maltz is, you know, I mean, it was a dodge. He straight up took an alley dodge down the left side, not something that Maltz is known for doing, and scored that goal to give them that 5-1 lead. Maltz finished the game with four goals and a helper. Jack Chorus, he put up three goals and a dish in the win. Now, credit to uh, Brett Makar for holding Alex Slusher to no goals and just a single assist. This is the second week in a row. He's now been able to neutralize an opponent's best offensive threat. He guarded Joey Spelina last week. You barely heard Spelina's name except for kind of in, you know, that behind the back goal that he scored on Makar. And that was pretty much it. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's just apparently uh, it became apparent very early, actually, that Slusher was going to have problems. Maycar was bottling him up, beating on him overall. Sam English was able to muster a goal into dish and Coulter Mackesy. He took advantage of some short stick matchups and netted himself a hat trick. 
but that was about it for Princeton. Maycar finished the game with four cost turnovers, six ground balls. Ajax Zapatello forced three turnovers. Brian Rupel got to start in cage after Teddy Dolan looked a little bit shaky against Syracuse, and he was really good in net, stopping 14 of the 19 shots he faced on the day. Luke Weirman, a pedestrian 13-20 for him from the dot. Sandoval and company did all they could to limit Weirman, and uh, they lost 65% of the draws Princeton did to Weirman, which actually sounds like a pretty solid day for them at the dot compared to what Weirman normally does to people. So all in all, it was a pretty good game. I just realized I haven't been going through and telling you guys who scored anything. For Maryland, Maltz was 4-1, Jack Chorus 3-1. You know, they kind of got uh, uh, scoring down their roster. And then for Princeton, as we said, Sam English 1-2, Mackesee 3-0, Slusher. Goose egg with just an assist on the day, just five shots. So a hell of a job by Maycar and company in that one. All right. Next one is a Utah at number 16 Hopkins. Now, after losing two straight Hopkins badly needed a win against Utah and they're able to pull that out. Thanks to a solid second half that saw them outscore the Utes six to three, specifically two zip over the third. And they outscored them four to three over the course of the fourth quarter. Utah, they were able to keep things interesting early. They took a 3-2 lead with 6.57 remaining in the first off a Ryan Stein's goal dished by Tyler Bradbury. Hopkins would snap back into a 4-3 lead, but Utah kept fighting. Jordan Hyde scored two goals straight, getting the Utes back on top 5-4. His second goal of that stretch coming with 11-10 left in the second quarter. A nice over-the-top pass from MJ McCann to Hyde on the left wing, and he uh, put it five-hold against Gib Vesser, uh, uh, Versfeld who started, against the inj- uh, started for the injured Tim Marcial, which Hopkins, you know, they, they've been struggling with injuries and guys coming in and out of the roster all, all year. But Hopkins, they'd take over from there. The next five goals of the game, they would score to take a 9-5 lead. Matt Collison, the freshman, he scored a natural hat trick over that run, giving Hop a 6-5 lead with 146 left in the second quarter off a man-up goal, and he capped his solo run uh, a goal dished by Ryan Evans with 104 left in the third. Ryan Evans scored the final goal of that five-goal run on a feed from Jacob and Angelus, and the ball game was pretty much over from there. Now, Gibb, he actually had a very good outing in cage for uh, Hopkins, and I said Gibb. Uh, it's really uh, uh, Versfeld. Had a very good outing in cage for Hopkins. He made 15 saves versus eight goals against. So as they're bouncing people in and out of that that, that lineup, to the goalie play has been tough for Hopkins over the last couple of years. Marcel has been very good for them so far this season, and uh, it was a little worrisome when they lose Marcel head injury. So I'm wondering if he's dealing with a concussion or something like that. So for uh, 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 what's his name, Versfeld however you pronounce that, for him to come in and play that well for Hopkins, a very good sign. They needed the win. They get the win. Now, another key stat for the Jays, their man-up unit went 3 of 4. They were 0 of 7 coming into this game on the season, and those three extra man goals proved both timely and very important. Hopkins tied things up at threes and fives off man-up goals, and they took that 6-5 lead off their third man-up goal of the game, and that was the lead that they would never relinquish overall. Uh, Hopkins also, in the games they've won, they have done well at the faceoff dot, and the games that they've lost, they've got roached at the dot. So Callahan and Dunn together at the faceoff dot, they've been playing well for Hopkins as well. I think Dunn uh, Callahan has been a little bit better than Dunn, but between the two of them, they've been okay 
and uh, hopefully they continue to play well as the season progresses for Hopkins. They're going to need him to. As I said, Hopkins, they've been banged up. They've had guys come in and out of the lineup after pretty much being healthy over the first two weeks. Both Jacob Angelus, he had a goal and three assists in the game, and Russell Melendez had two assists. They've been banged up. So having guys like freshman Matt Collison, the big boy lefty midfielder out of Canada, he had three goals. Ian Krampf, I believe he started at attack. He had three and one. Uh, for those guys to step up and contribute, very good signs both for Hopkins this year and for the future, though, having guys play. I think Krampf is actually a veteran, but you know, having guys that can just you know step in and fill a role when needed, that has been huge for him here. All right, next up, we are going to talk about Virginia and Ohio State. And, I, I mean, this was a game that I was really excited about, and Ohio State kind of hung a little bit early, as you see here. Uh, Virginia jumped out to a 5-2 lead. Ohio State got back to within 5-4. Virginia goes up 8-4, 9-4, 10-4. It, it, from there, it was pretty much all over. If we look at who did what, and this is – this is important because I heard a lot of people talking about how Bobby Van Buren guarded Connor Schellenberger and shut Schellenberger down. Now, hey, Bobby Van Buren's a filthy defender. Nothing against him, but what good is shutting Connor Schellenberger down if everybody else absolutely fucking demolishes you? Peyton Cormier, seven goals off 12 shots. Xander Dixon was 2-2. Two and two. Truett Sunderland, the freshman, 1-2. and two. Schellenberger, 0-2. Oh not terrible, but he was efficient. He only missed two shots and had two assists. McConvey, 0-2. I mean, you look at how deep the scoring went for, for Virginia. Oh, well, that, that Schellenberger only had two assists because the rest of the team absolutely went off. Petey fucking LaSala has six goals thus far this season in three games. He scored two goals in each of Virginia's three wins thus far. So credit to LaSala. He, uh, he's been absolutely incredible. And like I said, for Ohio State, that defense, that Virginia defense looked very good. They held Jack Myers to just two goals, so and that's the big one. Jack Myers is the big cat here, and Virginia did a great job of shutting him down. And because Virginia's stats suck, and it makes it very difficult for me to go in and even see what the goalies did, I'm going to ditch on this game. It was a blowout. Who cares? You know, Virginia, the number one team, beat up a team in Ohio State that I actually thought would end up playing a lot better. I thought this was going to be a close game. I thought Virginia could even win by just a goal or two, and that was not the case. They came out and showed we are definitely a level above everybody else in the country right now, and they put the big hurt on Ohio State. So that's all I have to say about that one. Next up, Rutgers and Loyola, another one. Number five, Rutgers, number 12, Loyola. Or no, number five, Loyola, number 12, Rutgers. And this one, hell of a game here. Tied up at halftime at fours. And you can see here, after Matthew Minikis tied it up at fours, just before the end of the second half, Rutgers comes out in the second half in the in the beginning of the second half and put it away early. Dante Coolis from Dugenio off the opening faceoff of the second half. Uh, Ross Scott from Shane Knobloch, then Shane Knobloch scored, then Brian Cameron and Jack Amoni scored. Shane Knobloch assisted on both of those. So Rutgers puts it away. They take a 9-4 lead and then kind of exchanged goals with Loyola from there. Hell of a game. As we go through the points here, Loyola, the young guys, you know, Minicus has continued to play well, but they just struggled against a good defensive Rutgers team here. And if we look at the scoring, Shane Knobloch, three and four on the day. So a hell of a job for the midfielder, Shane Knobloch. What is he now, a junior? Uh, Dante Coolis, three and oh. Brian Cameron, big boy, two and one. You know, Ross Scott, who I assumed was going to be their leading scorer, hasn't had to do much yet. I'm surprised that he's not putting up a ton of points and Rutgers is still managing uh, to 
to eke out games here and there. So excellent game overall for Rutgers. And in the end, what happened here was Loyola had been winning games based on stout outplaying the other team's goalies. That did not happen. Stout still had a good game for Loyola. He had 14 saves against 24 shots, but it was Kyle Mullen, who's thus far was middling. He played poorly in Loyola's loss and um, only had, what was it? Uh, only was like sitting at 40% or something like that. So, uh, you know, for him to put up, uh, or not in Loyola's loss, in Rutgers loss to Army, he was poor, under 50% Mullen was. So for him to go 16 saves, you know, against the, uh, what is it, 20, 22 shots that he, that he faced. Did I do that math right? 22 shots, yeah. 16 saves against 22 shots. That's his best game of the year. Oh, puts him over 70%, I think, for that game. And now he, it puts him at like 57% on the season. So they needed their goalie to come out and play big. Their goalie had the better game. And Rutgers ends up winning a close one in this. this the faceoffs, uh, Dugenio did a good job of splitting here with the Loyola crew, uh, uh, Pacheco. So that wasn't even a factor. It ended up being big game out of your goalie, big game out of your offense. Rutgers ends up winning. Penn State and Yale. Now, this one surprised me. Penn State jumps out to a 10-6 to lead, 8-1 to lead by the end of the first quarter. And while Yale was able to battle back and, and make it, you know, semi interesting here it wasn't quite as interesting as it looked because as we see here Yale was still only up or, you know Yale gets back to within 13 to 9 with 620 left so they rattled off three goals to end the game to get back to within 13 11 but that was all she wrote so Penn State from an offensive perspective they have looked much better here Matt Trainer. Five and one on the day. TJ Malone, three and two. Jack Trainer, two and one. So Penn State really filling it up here overall. Chase Mullins at the faceoff dot, 14 to 28. So he splits with Yale. Uh, who took him? Uh, Nicholas Ramsey's took the Ramsey took the bulk of them, and then for Yale, Matt Brandau. That was key. Brandau just gets five shots off on the day. He's one and two on the day. Uh, sophomore Chris Lyons had four goals and all that good crap. But in the end, Penn State offensively much improved. They're good in cage. They've been good on defense. So Penn State ekes out the win over Yale. And once again, it's that's the second year in a row Penn State has actually beat Yale. And it does look a little bit like the Ivies are not going to play as well out of conference this season as they did last year. So... That's all I have to say about that one, too. Denver uh, hosting Merrimack. So this one, not all. I mean, it was actually closer than I thought, especially by the half. But Denver's able to use that third quarter to outscore Merrimack 5-1, take a convincing lead, and they hold on for the 13-9 win. Nothing all that exciting here. If we come down to look at Denver, Noah Manning had four goals for Denver off just eight shots. And the key here, Alex or Alec, duh. Alec Stathakis, he goes 19 of 26 at the faceoff dot. One of the best faceoff men in the country here. That gives Denver the possession advantage. And then we see Jack Thompson lost that kind of owning that starting role here, uh, playing poorly over the first few games. So now they're back to splitting. Denver's been splitting time in cage, it seems like, you know, more often than not over the last few years. Uh, so both goalies for Denver played decent here. Actually, the only reason this game was close, apparently, Henry Vaught, he goes for 22 saves and just 13 goals against, so he absolutely stands on his head against Denver in this one. Uh, but Denver, they still pull it out. A game I was interested in seeing how it panned out, and it wasn't aired anywhere. I couldn't watch this anywhere. I didn't even want to. I'm not even going to name the team that BU played because if you're hosting a game and you're not streaming it, what the fuck are you even doing at the D1 level, especially a big game like this? So this team will not get a mention for me in terms of name, but Boston University beat that team. 12 to 6. 
So I think what that's going to do, it's going to drop the team that I will not name out of my top 20, and that's going to put Boston U back maybe in the top 20 here overall. We'll see. I got to do that top 20 here later today. It's always a stressful thing having to do it. But you see Boston U just came out early and scored off, and they, they take a 7-3 lead by the half and then kind of roll from there. In terms of points for Boston U, Louis Perfetto, 1-4, Vince Dalto, 5-0, Timmy Lay, 2-2. Two two. So that's the, the, the three-man unit. All three of them played well in this game. They've kind of been taking turns who played well and who hasn't played so great over the course of these first three games. But in this game, everybody got involved. Tommy Bork even puts up 3-1. and one. So that is a great job for them. Yeah, they kind of barely won the edge at the face-off battle. And then Matt Garber ends up with seven saves against six goals against. He wins the game. And BU beats the team that I will not name until they make sure they're streaming all their games, you dumb shits. Cornell and Lehigh. This was this one was a you know close early, but then it ends up being CJ Kirst, Billy Coyle. They both go three and one. Goalie battle, Chase Erlin slightly slightly now he didn't slightly Nick Pecora actually had a really good game in cage for uh for Lehigh Erlen struggled four saves against five goals against so that didn't look great and then what was done at the faceoff dot that's actually one of my clients ads that just ran right there that I just saw uh let's see here faceoff dot Sisselberger yeah he goes 14 to 20 so that was key for Lehigh that's why this score was a little bit more reasonable than what I assumed it would be I, th- I thought Cornell would probably you know, put 15 up and maybe Lehigh be in the eight area. So it was lower scoring than I thought, but the spread's about right. Sisselberger has a good game. Cornell wins. They're now 2-0. Harvard, Bucknell. Bucknell actually did a good job of kind of trying to stay in this one overall, but in the end, Owen Gaffney, 3-1. Joe Dowling, 2-1 in terms of the goalie battle. Christian Bernard, 17 saves against eight goals against for Harvard. Without that game, this is much closer. So Christian Bernard, credit to him. And then at the faceoff dot, man, my computer is going really slow here. Andrew DeGenero, did I say that right? Andrew DeGenero or DeGenero, that's dope. 15 of 21 at the faceoff dot. So that kind of wrecked Bucknell's chances overall. Harvard improves to one and one after getting their dicks kicked in against Virginia last weekend. St. Joe's. I keep watching and following St. Joe's. They're now 3-0. They beat the crap out of Providence here. And as we look at who scored, Carter Page, 5-1. Ryan Doran, 1-3. Levi Anderson, 3-0. You know, these dudes can fill it up offensively. They're playing really good lacrosse. Uh, Scott McMillan, he's been good enough in cage, but uh, it's Zach Cole at the faceoff dot. Look at that stat. 24 of 24 for Zach Cole at the faceoff dot with freaking 22 GBs. I mean, he that, that's just winning draws to yourself like an absolute animal. Now, granted, Zach Cole is built like an absolute animal. Apparently, he faces off like an absolute animal. So that is a hell of a stat line for Zach Cole in that 19-6 win over Providence. Didn't even give Providence a chance. Very disappointed in Michigan. Everyone, all you know, listen – Syracuse fans, we're all hyped about Syracuse, but I, as a Syracuse fan, have tempered expectations. I was glad to see them start 3-0. I was going with my heart, and I picked them to win their last two that they've lost. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're better, and there's things to be pleased about. Michigan has a semi-veteran team, and they're once again disappointing, and their schedule is not going to get any easier. This was a game that Michigan had to win. They could not pull it out against Marquette. They lose 14-9, to and once again, Josh Zuada just not getting it done overall, not putting up metric shit ton of points because they're playing a much tougher schedule now. So this Michigan team is going to struggle overall. 
what happened in cage. You know, I expected to see some kind of crazy stat stand out uh, that would kind of show us why Marquette won. Nothing there. Michigan's just not as good as what people were hoping they'd be. Army, they beat Mercer. Nothing to see really here except Reese Burrick continues to be Army's guy. He goes 3-3 three and three on the day. And then at the faceoff dot, Will Coletti, eh, kind of split. So there was nothing crazy there. And then uh, Doc, you know, Knox Dent hasn't been great in cage for Army either. But, hey, Army's now 3-1. and one. They just beat up on Mercer. Navy and High Point. Navy, once again, a team that I had at the end of my rankings. They're apparently not as good as we all thought. Not that High Point's bad. But people were kind of hype on between our line, uh, Skalniak, Navy has a really good midfield depth, and it just has not you know, turned into wins overall. Yes, they're 3-2, and two, but you see the teams that Navy's beat so far are Mount St. Mary's, Queens, and Hofstra. They lost to Manhattan last week, and now they lose to High Point. So Navy, not exactly what people thought, but hey, Jack Van Overbeek, 4-2 for High Point on the day. I bet you Parker Green, eh, neither goalie had a good game, but man, Pat Ryan, I had been complaining. I had been saying Navy's been splitting time in goal, and I thought that Pat Ryan deserved to get a full game, and he got a full game, and he did not deliver. 14 goals against and just six saves for Pat Ryan. So, hey, someone had argued with me and said, well, maybe the coach is seeing something in practice that's making him not want to fully start Ryan, even though his statistics had been better coming into this game, and he had a terrible game. Parker Green, mediocre, and uh, it was good enough, though, in the end for High Point to pick that game up at home. And uh, that's it, guys. I mean, there's there were some other games here. I've already been rambling long enough, so I'm not going to talk about them. I will be back Wednesday to do the preview show. From now on, the Wednesday preview show is going to include recaps from Sunday's games, any games that happen between Sunday and Tuesday in that Wednesday show. So I will both do recaps for additional games this weekend and into this week, and I'll also do previews for the upcoming week's games. As I have said, you can now go to laxfactor.com. We have a full line of custom team apparel, uniforms, reversibles, shooters, shorts, all that crap. Go to laxfactor.com. You can check it out there. You can hit me up on social media. I'll give you a quote. We'll get crap out. Everything is manufactured in the U.S. of A, designed, printed, cut, and sewn here. So you can't beat that. And like, share, subscribe, go to the website, watch our videos there. You can buy yourself t-shirts, all that crap. So I will be back on Wednesday. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And Hoost is out. The Lax Factor Podcast.